Glad you could be here. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here. Tell them that real quick. There you go. You did that, didn't you? Okay. How many of you know about loopholes? You know it's tax season. Anybody, <laughs> anybody understand loopholes? A loophole is where you, you, don't, you follow the rules, but you don't exactly follow the rules. You find a way around the rules to kind of bend the rules, right? And nobody has to teach us about loopholes. When you were growing up, your mother said, did you clean your plate? And you said yes, and, and, but really you raked the food in the trash. That was not what she had in mind, right? Some of you did that. Some of you are going, and others are going, oh, he found out. Okay. And by the way, I'm not recommending that. You get in trouble when you do that. So early in life, we figured out how to break the rules. Now, when religious people exploit the rules in religion, we have a term for that. We call them hypocrites, right? They break the rules. And when religious leaders exploited the religious rules in Jesus' day, he called them whitewashed tombs. You see, what they would do is they would paint, wash, and clean the outside of tombs, but the inside was just dead, right? And that's what he was saying. You're like whitewashed tombs. You, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. So if you don't like religious hypocrites, you have something in common with Jesus because he said the same thing. Now today is part three of our series, God is Near, and it's the story of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Peter had spent time with Jesus, right? And he had been with him for years, and then after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, you know, 30 years later, G Peter is still going out, and he's still telling the story of Jesus wherever he would go. People would say, Peter, tell us about what it was like to be with the master. Tell us what it was like to be a follower and to be right there with him and to learn from him and to spend time with him. Tell us about that. And so he would. He would tell them. And one of the people that traveled with him is a guy by the name of John Mark. And we know him as the guy who ended up writing the gospel of Mark, okay, the book of Mark. And John Mark would say to him, Tell me some more, and he would ask questions, and he would get Peter to explain it. And as he would explain it, he was just taking down dictation, and that later actually became the Gospel of Mark. So now Peter's in his 50s, and he's in Rome, and Nero's on the throne. And Peter doesn't know it, but he's not going to leave Rome alive. He's going to die while he's in prison. So one last time, he's sharing the stories, and it's not with a big crowd. It's just with John Mark there in the prison. And Peter says, here's what Jesus taught. And it's in Mark, the first chapter. It says this. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, when you hear the word repent there, generally you're thinking of a negative term. I've got to turn and go the other way. And that's true. But here it's more of a positive term in this context. Because what he's saying is this. He's saying, what I want you to do is not only hear it, not only accept it, I want you to embrace the message of God. And so I want you to turn to this, not just turn away, but to turn to this. Now, previously, we discovered that Jesus got angry when religion got in the way, when people used his father's words to hurt the people that were his father's children and followed him. And Jesus said in Mark, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It meant that God loved people more than he did his rules. And the rules he made were for our benefit. And so to illustrate that, 
Jesus broke from tradition. And what did he do? He healed someone on the Sabbath. And that went against the tradition and the rules of the day. And as a result of that, the religious leaders got angry with Jesus. Well, because he said that, you know, he said, it's really for your benefit, not for others. And in the middle of this, Jesus's family show up because what he's saying is so radical. And, and they say in Mark, the third chapter, he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. They're, what they're trying to do is protect him. They're trying to get him out of there before the religious leaders come after him. They're trying to get him to the house and kind of deprogram him and say, look, can you not find a way to compromise your message? What you're saying is just so radical and it's so difficult and, and it's blowing up the system and people in the system don't like that. And so these religious leaders have a view of Jesus and it says in Mark, the third chapter, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. In other words, he's possessed by the devil, basically, is what they're saying. And because Jesus was healing so many people, though, the crowds kept following him. The religious leaders, they didn't get upset just because Jesus was healing people, although they didn't like that. But they also got upset because of his teaching. Because here's what they said. If they're listening to Jesus' teaching, then they're not going to be listening to our teaching. Well, what are we going to do then? And so they didn't like it, and they wanted to take him out. And so to get away from the crowds, and by the way, oftentimes they had crowds. It says in Mark 3.22, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub. Now, Jesus was healing a lot of people, and so to get away from the crowd, he got in a boat and he went across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is kind of in the northern part of Israel, and it's a lake. It's a freshwater lake. And that's where Jesus spent most of his time. It was later on he would go to Jerusalem. But here, the people in Jerusalem, the authorities, the religious figures, have heard about the commotion that's going on in Capernaum, which is on the lake there. And they've come to check Jesus out and find out what's going on. And in Mark 6, it says this, As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats wherever they heard he was. Now, here's what they were doing. They were literally taking sick people and placing them on the roadside. They were laying them there so that when Jesus came by, he could stop and he could speak to them and he could heal them and touch them and bless them. See, the word had gotten out about Jesus. And so they wanted to be a part of that. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplace. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. And so, you know, there's this crowd of people who say, hey, I want to be around Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. But then there's this other crowd of people who's hostile. The, most of these faces are, are happy to see him, but there are some hostile faces who don't want to see Jesus. And it says in the book of Mark, the word crowd is used in almost every chapter in the book of Mark because there were crowds wherever he went. There's only two chapters where they don't talk about the crowds, okay? And before long, those hostile faces showed up. And here's what happened. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law came from Jerusalem and they were around Jesus. And Jerusalem 
is where the temple was, and the primary leaders of Judaism had come to hear all about the commotion, the trouble that's going on in Capernaum. And they saw when they got there, they noticed something disturbing about the people following Jesus. It says in Mark 7, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of the disciples eating food with the hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, that, and so what they, they say is, um, when they see that going on, the Pharisees and, and um, all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Okay? So that's the other part, Mark 7, 1 through 3 there, the second part of that. Now, what? it wasn't that they didn't wash their hands before they ate. It was that they didn't go through the ceremonial traditions to cleanse themselves as the tradition had taught them to do. And when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, God also gave the oral tradition or the oral law. And that was passed down from Moses to Joshua and now into the first century. But the problem was that the religious leaders felt like they were the keepers of the law. And so what they would do is they would add laws to the laws. The laws were there to help them follow the Ten Commandments. But they would add more and more and more laws so that there were so many laws, even the Pharisees really argued about whether or not that was part of the oral tradition or not. It was hard to keep up with all that. And, and they were trying to decide what was what. And Jesus' primary argument with the Pharisees throughout his ministry was not about the written law. It was about the oral law, okay, the oral Torah. And in Mark, the seventh chapter, it says this. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating food with defiled hands? And so they're accusing Jesus' disciples of breaking the law because they're always trying to find a way to trap Jesus or his followers. And Jesus replied, and he's pretty strong here, it says. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God and hold on to the human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And Jesus includes the punishment associated with breaking the commandments that you find in Exodus. And then it says, and anyone who curses their father and mother should be put to death. Now, in other words, what was going on was they were ignoring their parents in those days. Are you totally lost so far? Well, good, that's right where I want you because I'm going to explain it to you. Look at the person next to you and just breathe and go, well, good, he's going to explain it now. I feel so much better because that, that's kind of that's the way they were in the last service, to tell you the truth, okay? Um, Moses had taught, you know, that God had taught to honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother must be put to death. And he talks about that in Scripture. What are they talking about? Okay, here's what I want you to understand. So realize this. Taking care of your parents then was expensive and it was time-consuming. And so they found a loophole around doing that. 
And here's what they would do. Now, these are the religious leaders. What they would say is, you could dedicate all of your wealth, all of your money, and you could give it to the temple, to God. And then you could do that before you died. But then if you needed some, you could get some from the temple, but it really, it belonged to God. It was yours. You could use it. But then after you died, it was gone. And so here's what they did. In order not to try to help their parents who were in need, they found a loophole. And they said, well, I'd like to help you. I wish I could help you, but I don't have anything to help you with because it all belongs to God. It was just a man-made tradition. They came up, just a loophole, just a way around it. Now, that's not a good thing, is it? That's, that wasn't what was intended all along because he says, honor your father and your mother. No, we got a way around that. Here, here it is. We got another app. It'll work. Just go ahead and follow this, okay? And so, because they had come up with this loophole, Jesus was saying, you've elevated your traditions over the word of God. You've, you've said, I want to do it my way so much that I'm, I'm just going to disregard what God is teaching me to do. And if you've ever hurt a person or if you've ever sinned against another person, you can make it right with God. You can turn to him and confess and repent and ask forgiveness. But he says, well, okay, but you need to go make it right with that person. You can't just say, I've made it right with God. Everything's good. He's saying you've got to make it right with the person if you want things to be right between you and me, right? And so he teaches us all to make peace with other people. And if things aren't right, then things aren't right between us, he's saying. And the scripture says, thus you nullify the word, he says, of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. You teachers of the law have taken man-made traditions and elevated them over the teaching of God. He goes on in Mark 8 to say this. He then began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. See, these, these leaders, they had this system set up, and Jesus was speaking against their system. Remember, we said he wouldn't compromise. He said, no, there's truth, and I'm going to speak the truth in love, and it's not going to fit into your little system that you've got because it's not of God. And they were supposedly serving the kingdom of God, but they wouldn't recognize the king or the kingdom. He kept saying the kingdom is near. What did he mean by that? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near, he said. And then he said, repent and believe the good news. Now, what he's saying is, I'm here. And because I'm here, you can have a relationship with me. And it's a kingdom of the heart. It's not a kingdom that's going to overthrow Rome. It's not that kind of kingdom. But you can have a relationship. I'm here. The king's here. The kingdom is here. You can have a relationship with me now. And it really doesn't matter what's going on politically. Your relationship is still good. You've still got a relationship with me. Well, that's a good word for us to hear today in America, isn't it? Because what's going on is that the country is so polarized by politics. And I don't preach a lot on politics. I'm not going to go all down that road. But what I'm trying to say is that what we believe and what we follow from God really doesn't change. It's the same. And we just, we just stay close to God. We walk with God. Some people are going to have different opinions and different ways of looking at things. You know, but we don't have to hate each other. 
in order to be faithful to God, you know, we can try to find a way to work together. So let me ask you a question. Is it ever possible that you and I have let go of the actual commands of God to pick up on human traditions? Have you ever heard people say this? Maybe you've said it. Maybe you've heard other people. That's not the way we did it before. We, we don't do it that way, right? Have you ever heard that? You know, we, we, I'm not changing. I'm not changing. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm not changing. I don't care what you say. I'm not changing, right? People do that sometimes. Not you, but other people that I've talked to do that. They say, I'm not changing. Have you ever come to a loophole where you could get around the commands of God to follow your own traditions? Let me just talk to you for a minute about that. I served at New Church many years ago. We had one service at 11 o'clock. That's the time you're supposed to go to church, right? 11 o'clock. That's when God's there, right? At 11 o'clock. You can't just be going willy-nilly anytime to church. You've got to go at 11 o'clock. Well, why are you here now then? Let me just ask you that. What's wrong with you? Okay, so we had one service at 11, but we filled the room up. We didn't have any more room. And so we said, well, you know what? We've got Sunday school at 945. We're going to start a service at 830. And so I said to the folks, hey, we're going to start an 830 service, and I need 100 people from this service to go help us build a base at the 830 service so we can grow both services. And you know what they said to me? Can you go to church at 830? <laughs> Will God be there? And I said, I've spoken to him. He said it was okay. <laughs> you got to think outside the box. Work with me. It's okay, you can do it. And they're like, I don't know. I, I don't, I've never done it that way before. And I go, well, let's just try it, okay? Let's just live on the edge. <laughs> and so we did. We started going at 8.30, and they committed. I said, for one year, would you go to the 8.30 service? And then after a year, you can go back to 11. They said, okay, we'll go. So those faithful people, they stepped out, and they started going at 8.30 in the morning. And for a year, they did that. And guess what? Both of the services grew. And it was great. And then at the end of a year, I said to them, okay, your commitment's up. You don't have to go at 8.30 anymore. You can go back to 11. 11? Why would we go at 11? It's in the middle of the day. Have you lost your mind? These people looked at me and said, you're crazy. They, they told me that. Can you believe church people would tell me that? We're not going back to 11. We're going to 8.30 as God intended. That's the service. <laughs> 